I want to try that one more time. Good morning, everyone. Woo! Hold the enthusiasm down. Come on now. Wow. Why are you so fearful this morning? No. That's the name of the message I've been speaking on the last two weeks. And, uh, and as I was sharing last week, we're going to move on to the next chapter, Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 5, as we uh, put this story all together. I love a good story. I think we all love a good story. But I like a story even more when I understand the story. When I understand the components of the story, it makes more sense. Sometimes Jesus would do things that would puzzle you and make you wonder, why did he do that? Was it just happenstance? But I think we all realize the Lord doesn't do anything happenstance. He doesn't do anything that's unplanned. He's not like me and you. He has to have a plan, but then he's creator. He created all things, and when he did it, he did it perfectly because he is an architect, and he designs, and he designed this earth, and he designed something really cool. You know what that is? Me and you. When you think of these bodies, the scriptures tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, if you're like me, you've got a few aches and pains. You know, your knee doesn't like to do what it used to do. There was a time, a quite a long time, it seemed like in my life, when if I was playing a game of basketball, you know, I would say, come on, just one more game. And, uh, you know, and those type of decisions eventually take their toll. How many knows what I'm saying? But the Lord is our architect, and he's designed us perfectly. And everything he did on this earth had a reason. It had a reason. So last Sunday and the Sunday before, we were in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus is having what we might call an incredible crowd. He is in a place called Capernaum, and it's on the northern part of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. He is teaching primarily with parables. I know some evangelists that they preach primarily with parable. That's B-U-L-L at the end. (laughs) Parables were a way of making you think, making you involved in the conversation to figure out what it is, you know, the, the sower, what does that really mean, the sower doing his thing, you know, sowing seeds and, and the type of earth. He taught with overflow crowds. It was so packed out that he had to back up to the shore of the Galilee, and then finally he had to get into the boat. One of the boats, obviously, of the disciples. And from there, he taught. I tried to imagine that before, you know. I mean, the waves are coming in, the waves are going out, and uh, trying just to keep your balance. Am I making anybody sick at all? And I'm sure he was standing there, but where he was positioned, the acoustics were really good. 
and he was able to project. But the crowd had pushed him all the way to the shore. He prayed for people. He healed people. There were those with, uh, who were demon-possessed. And he, he prayed over them and cleansed them of the spirits that were in them. But most importantly, he was really praying or was utilizing his teaching gift and teaching people things that they had never heard of before. It went on all day long and into the evening, and finally he said, we're done for today. And he told his disciples, and now it's night, and he said, get the boat ready. We're going to go across the water. It's about a five-mile trip. And we're going to go to the opposite side of the Galilee. He did not tell them why. And they didn't ask. He just said, this is what we're going to do. And so he gets into the boat. And because he's exhausted, he immediately finds a pillow that's in the stern of the boat, lays his head down, and he is out. I don't know how you do that. I don't have the, the blessing of being able to fall asleep just that fast. Have you ever tried to fall asleep on, it, on the airplane? You know, some of you may be able to do it really well. Uh, I've got a son who just, he's out. And I'm thinking, you know, I almost want to go just like that, just <laughs> because I can't do that. You know, and I can't find the right position. And Jesus is here asleep in the boat with it rocking up and down. And within no time, as we know the story, a tempest, that's the word that Matthew uses, a tempest comes upon the water. It's night. And this seismic, this seismic, in fact, it's called seismos, from where we get the word tempest, and, and it means a storm that is of seismic measure. And so a seismic measured storm is just belting the boat and they are fearful. Jesus is asleep. The waves are lapping into the boat. It's probably getting close to getting ready to sink. And the disciples are a mess. And finally, one of the brave ones. I don't know which one it is, but I'm going to guess Peter. Probably Peter went and said, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? He did not respond, but he got up and he said, peace. And then he followed up with, be still. And when he said, be still, that was from a Greek word that we know as muzzle. He muzzled the storm. In other words, if you were to muzzle someone, it would be to keep them from talking to be able to make a sound. Muzzling. He muzzled the storm. And then, good weather, and they continued their journey. But we don't know why they're going on this journey. It certainly wasn't from a lack of people, a lack of a crowd, how many evangelists do you know, preachers, what have you, 
would say goodbye to an overflow crowd. And all of a sudden, we're going a different direction. And I believe the disciples were smart enough by this time to not ask why. Just do whatever he says to do. I think I remember that from the first miracle that he uh, performed at the wedding. When his mother said to the you know, to those who were hosting the wedding party and they ran out of wine, he's, she said, just do whatever he says to do. And that's when he turned the water into wine. Wow. What a God. And now he is on this journey in a boat, and for the majority of the time, he's asleep. And the disciples have to be wondering, where are we going? And that's where we pick up the story, and we find out that even in the story that it just happened, that when this great, great seismic storm, in other words, a storm that is not normal, a storm that is, not to get too crazy, and like an atomic storm. And we begin to figure out this was no ordinary storm. This was sent by the enemy. This was sent by Satan to slow down, to confuse, to maybe even harm and kill the inhabitants of the boat. Jesus slept through it until he was awakened. And then he muzzled the storm. Satan's was behind the storm. He was behind the storm. I've shared in the last couple of weeks, sometimes the things that me and you go through are of natural reasons. It was natural for the Galilee, Sea of Galilee, to have a sudden storm pop up because geographically how it works there with Mount Hermon and, and the below-level sea and what have you. But in this regard... This intense, intense storm was sent by the enemy. And Jesus didn't really rebuke the elements. He rebuked the founder of the storm. It's what he does in our life. Hallelujah. Satan has no power over me and you unless we allow him to. I'll say that one more time. Satan has no power over our lives unless we allow him to have that power. If you came today thinking, uh, I don't know how I'm going to get past the situation I am in. That is the perfect time for the enemy to say, Ah, I can get a foothold here. How many know what I'm talking about? Amen. When you have a weak moment in your life, when you have a moment where you're down, when you have a moment when you're doubt, when you have a moment when fear kicks into gear, it is a time when the enemy sees an opportune moment. And we're going to talk about that for just a second because when Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 was 
led by the Spirit. Who was he led by? The Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil tried his utmost. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He was weakened because of all this fasting. But he conquered the enemy. But note that it says in Scripture that the devil left him for an opportune time. Don't be fooled. Maybe my opportune time and your opportune time and someone else's opportune time is not the same. There's some things that don't bother me that bothers my wife. There's some things that bothers my wife that doesn't bother me, and, and vice versa. We all have that. Some of you, you get, you know, if you just took animals or bugs. Is Robbie in here? Oh, good. He's out in the lobby. Rob's this big, tough guy, you know? Strong as all get out. But I found out there's this little bug. It kind of wigs him out. It's one of those centipede things. See, I just step on them. We all have something. We all have something that bothers us, but it doesn't bother someone else. You have an opportune time. I have an opportune time. When the enemy is able to come in, he comes in like a roaring lion because he has found an opening. He's found an opening. In premarital counseling, I always share about what bothers one of you may not bother the other person. In other words, the husband isn't really, or the groom, he's really not bothered by the certain thing that bothers his to-be wife, and vice versa. But in that regard, then, you need to have an attitude of, even though it doesn't bother you, of still being sensitive to it for the sake of your spouse, so that you can understand what they're going through and have empathy. I, I know I've shared this before, but it's, it's, for me, it's a good example. I've never had a headache in my life. And so when we got married and want to have you and Andrew would have a headache, I was not sympathetic. I was just like, you know, I mean, I always say this out loud, but I'm thinking, man, you just need to get over it, you know. <laughs> and that does not work well <laughs> with relationships. It really, really doesn't. And so that means I need to have empathy with something I don't really understand that really doesn't affect me personally, but because it affects the person I love that requires me to have a whole new outlook towards it. Amen, everybody? Not just about me, but about you, too. And so we have here an opportune time when the enemy will come. And the enemy saw an opportune time. Jesus had just left this incredible outpouring of people teaching them, healing them, 
and was leaving to go across the water to a different place. I can't tell you as a pastor, as a minister, how bizarre that is. Not many ministers, evangelists would leave a big, big, big meeting to go we don't know where. His disciples shouldn't, didn't know. So when we pick up the scripture now in Mark chapter 5, we start off with the story. And I want to read the whole story. It's like about, about 20 verses. Could you do 20 verses of the Bible? Okay. It says, Then they came to the other side of the sea. Again, Satan sent a storm of all storms to prevent them from getting there. They've had trauma. But now it says, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately, by the way, you'll notice when you read the Gospel of Mark, he likes to say that word often, immediately, immediately. His gospel is an action gospel. It's really what it is. It's an action gospel. Always something happening. So it says, when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him from out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. This man had supernatural strength. You may say it this way. He did not have natural strength. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself. I don't know if anyone here has ever had issues with cutting yourself. But there is a connection with spirits when you're doing that. I'm not minimizing one's pain of why they're doing it. I'm talking about the pain of what caused them to do that. But when you're cutting yourself, you're really giving in to the voice of the enemy. And so I'm going to give you the best spiritual advice you've ever, you've ever received. Stop it. Don't do it. You're listening to the enemy. You may not think you're listening to the enemy because he always loves it when he can say something to you that you don't know it's coming from him. So we see here, this man, possessed by spirits, says always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, in the cemetery, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran. 
and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? And a reminder from a couple of weeks ago, the demonic demons will use the phrase, Son of the Most High God. Hebrews, Jews, would use the word Lord. But they would look upon him as Son of the Most High God. They did not have that connection with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now that's a very important statement, folks, because if you're going to have a relationship with Jesus, it has to be as Lord. He is Lord. I think Americans oftentimes have a difficulty with that because we don't like kings. And we've conquered nations, uh, the nation of England especially, to get our, our independence because we didn't want to be under the ruler of a king. But as a believer, as a Christian, we want to be under the dominion and the sovereignty of this king. And we await this king to come back. Not only is he a king, he's a prince. He's the prince of peace. Hallelujah. And so it's noted here that they cried out, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. How sad that any connection with Jesus is immediately connected with torment. With me and you, it's like we can't wait to have a relationship with Christ. We can't wait to just get into the mood of worship, to get into the mood of hearing the word, having spiritual fellowship, experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. And it goes on to say, and he cried out with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, come out of the man on clean spirit. Then he asked him, Jesus asked the man, what is your name? I think we all know he didn't ask the question because he didn't know the answer to the question already. He asked the question for the benefit of those who were watching and observing. You see, this whole thing is a classroom experience for the disciples. For the disciples to learn how to minister, to learn how to deal with the demonic, to learn how to understand and discern what's going around us. The spiritual aspect. And we read, it says, uh, and he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. A legion, kind of debatable, but normally it was the size of about 6,000 Roman soldiers, and they called it a legion. Can you imagine having six demons within you, let alone 6,000? 
a legion. No wonder this man was tormented. No wonder this man was filled with supernatural strength, but that was only used for hurting himself and hurting others. No wonder he was crazy all night long, roaming, roaming the graves, the tombs. And by the way, he, he did so naked. It's been said that there's a definite connection between nudity and the occult. When there's obsession with nudity, that there is almost always obsession with the occult as well. So we go on to read, and it says, And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, can you imagine the sounds? I mean, can you even imagine the sounds of hearing all these voices? And they begged him not to send them away. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the, spot, the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently, ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So that those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country and they went out to see what had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. Don't you like the word had? When you say had, that means, that means you've, been, you've been delivered. Hallelujah. And those who saw it told them how it happened. They had been demon-possessed, and, uh, and then they began to plead with him, with Jesus, to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. In other words, he wanted to go with Jesus. He's thinking, I don't have anything left here. I want to go with you. I have brand new life. Aren't you glad for brand new life? Brand new life only comes with Christ Jesus. Someone say hallelujah. You're here today because you've experienced brand new life. And sometimes as we were singing this morning, the, the song about spirit of the living God fall fresh on me. We need some continued new life that flows within us. There are times when we need to say, oh God, fill me up. My gas gauge has went down a little bit. My flame has, has went down a little bit. I, I, need to have, I need to have the wick to raise up. I need the oil to light up the fire within me. Hallelujah. And here, they didn't want, the people didn't want Jesus to be around any longer. And the man who had all the demons, who's now freed, who is sitting in his right mind, 
and he is clothed, by the way, wants to go with Jesus, and Jesus said to him, he said no. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends. I'm surprised he had any friends left. And he says that, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis and all, all that Jesus had done for him and all, everyone marveled. So now we back up and we say to ourselves, that's the reason he left. He left Capernaum. He left a huge revival. He left, got on the Sea of Galilee in the horrible weather that the enemy sent to stop him because he was on a mission. Jesus had a plan. It was to go to the Gadarenes. I don't know who called him, but I think it was the Spirit of the Lord. I believe that as the Spirit drew Jesus into the wilderness, that the Spirit also drew him to the Gadarenes because he depended upon the Spirit of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he depended upon the Spirit to lead him and direct him to where he should go. And he showed an example to the disciples and to all those who followed him. You have to have an ear that's in tune to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we need to have our ears tuned. I'm not kidding you. When we were singing that song this morning... Truth be known, probably 90% of all of us needed to be right at the altar. Saying, oh God, clean out the junk in my ears. How many is hearing the Lord like you know you should hear the Lord? Some of you made great decisions, tremendous hard decisions that came about from the leading of the Holy Spirit. You were able to follow through because you heard his voice and you followed what he had to say. And that doesn't just happen. That happens because you have a relationship. That happens because you've got a fire downside of your, of your furnace, of your inside furnace. One of the Rocky movies after Rocky got old but he's still fighting. You, Luke, still got a little bit of fire down there. <laughs> in other words, he was saying, I've got to have a fire to fight. I have to have a fire in my belly. I have to have a fire within me to do what's required to fight. And we need to have a fire. Yes, right. Hallelujah. Right. Jesus was led, was led by the Holy Spirit. I believe he received some marching orders. They, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one. They are one. And he didn't say, oh, but I've got such a great meeting going on here. 
And the offerings have been pretty good too. He left because he had received marching orders to go take care of several thousand demons and to free a single man, a single individual. Actually, you read in Matthew, and it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and and Matthew says that there were two men that were demon-possessed. And you know what? That's okay. That, That is not a contradiction. That is not a contradiction. The fact is, there was a demon-possessed individual or individuals there, and there were several thousand demons there. Hallelujah. And Jesus still cast them all out. Praise the Lord. But when Christ gives us an order to march, and by the way, you never hear of the disciples in this story. All it says is they. That was all the billing they got when they pulled up to the shore. They pulled up to the shore. And Jesus was the first one out of the boat. And from then on until the end of that story, you never hear anything about the disciples. All you hear about is Jesus, the man with legion, the people from the Gadarenes, and that's who you're hearing about. And you witness the overcoming power of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Folks, there's so many lessons that you can get out of this this whole story. Let me give you one real quick. You may be bound and determined that you're going this direction. And you may so be so bound and determined of the direction you're going that you cannot hear the word of the Spirit that's saying, I want you to make it a turn. I want you to take this upcoming exit. But you don't hear that because you're bound and determined that what I'm doing is right. And I'm not saying it's a wrong thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But it may not be exactly what you need to be doing according to the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to pray and pray often that Holy Spirit, help my ears to hear what you have to say. We can almost get arrogant sometimes in how we hear from the Lord. I know what I'm doing. Well, you better get ready for maybe the Holy Spirit to say something like, oh, you know what, I want you to make a shift. And you might think to yourself, well, this is a bad time to do that because this is really going well right now. But not if the Holy Spirit says, I want you to get on the boat and go to the other side. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when you feel like Satan is buffeting you, that's an indication. That is an indication. Hallelujah. So as I bring this you know, to, a, to a close this morning, I just want to share with you that the Lord has something good in store for you. He wants to lead you. He wants to direct your life. He wants to direct your path. But you need to be listening. You need to be listening. And have your heart exactly where it needs to be. So there's one more lesson that really stands out. And it comes from Matthew chapter 8, which shares the same story. And we see something there that is really super, super 
fascinating. And we'll go there next week. So read the story in Matthew 8. The same story about Jesus ministering to the demoniac and the Gadarenes. But this morning, I just want to encourage anybody here, again, who is going through a storm, the storm may be sent by the enemy, or it may be a natural storm. You need to discern that. And then I want to share with you that Jesus always has a plan. What's your plan? What's your plan? What are you listening to? Are you really hearing his voice? I want to pray for your discerning today. Discerning is real simple. I've said this many times. To me, it's the most important gift of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The gift of discerning. Because the gift of discerning tells you, am I listening to God? Am I listening to the devil? (laughs) Or worse, am I listening to myself? you got to know those three. You have to be able to discern, this is God. You have to be able to discern, ooh, that's of the enemy. Oh, you have to discern, this may just be me. Hallelujah. So I want to pray for, for anyone who would like special prayer this morning for discerning of what it is that you should be doing or where you're at. You fill in the blank. But I'm going to ask... I'm going to ask my wife to come and actually, you know what, before you do that, hon, I'm going to ask James, you wanted to share something and so uh, correlate that together. My God is so good, isn't he? Yes. Amen. Um, we, uh, Pastor Gary already mentioned it, but my grandma passed away on Friday um, after battling cancer for um, a while. You have a live mic, bro. Is this live? Oh, is it? There you go. Oh, um, but uh, man, I, I had a chance to see her um, when she was still at home and was well, and she was in great spirits and everything. And um, then when I found out she went to hospice, I I really didn't know if I wanted to see her in that condition. Um, so after talking with my wife and and everything, we decided to go see her and talking with my mom too. And um, so we went and saw her, and uh, she got to see uh, little Asher, our newborn, and she got to hold him, and you could see a lot of joy in her face with that. And uh, it was awesome because I got to see a lot of family I haven't seen in a long time on my mom's side and catch up with them, and the whole room was just kind of, uh, I don't know, it just, it just had a, a good feeling about it. Like everybody was just kind of happy, you know, to be there, happy to be with uh, Grandma Jan. Um, but... You know, the whole time that she had cancer, um, I never really feared the cancer. And when I saw her at her house, she didn't seem to fear the cancer. Um, And it reminded me of a verse in Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says, don't fear that what can kill the body. Mm -hmm. He said, fear that which can kill your soul and take your soul. And, um, you know, I know my grandma's with the Lord. My mom texted me minutes after she passed away and said, your grandma's home with the Lord. 
and I was, you know, that was a great feeling. But this morning when we were singing that song, How Great Thou Art, um, the first line was says, then sings my soul. It struck me because, you know, there's singing like a performance when you sing and you want to make sure you hit the right note. And then there's this visceral singing that comes mm. from your soul. Because your body is a, is a triune being. We have a body and a soul and a spirit. And our soul, when we sing from that soul deep down inside of us, and the words of that song are so simple, really the only thing that the, the writer wrote was just how great thou art. And when we were singing that, I thought of my grandma, and I was like, man, like, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that she's no longer in pain. And like Pastor Gary said, she's, she doesn't have cancer anymore. You know, she's not in pain. And how great thou art, you know, to save our soul. Because ultimately, you know, mm. we can be bound by time so much and consumed with ourself. And like what Pastor Gary said this morning, we, we go our own direction and we don't seek the Lord for what direction we should be going. When really, we should just be saying, how great thou art, that my soul is saved. And everything else is secondary. But first and foremost is just that I know my soul is right mm. with the Lord. Amen. Um, Amen. Uh, maybe the worship team could come up, whoever's, whoever's out here. But I know, I know Pastor Gary wants to pray uh, this morning for direction. and uh, We'll do it all together. And discernment. And, uh, and, and that's, that's actually relative because, you know, the whole reason that I wanted to talk this morning was that my grandma knew she was going to die for a long time. She told me in her living room, she said, James, I'm going to die. And when you know you're going to die soon, a lot of things you know in your mind, you know, change when there's a timeline on it. When a doctor tells you you only have a few months, you have a year. You know, I remember in her room in hospice, she had her Bible in there. She, she wasn't even strong enough to pick up a glass of water. But that Bible, I've seen it since I was a kid, had this old black cover on it that was torn up with like floral pattern on it. And when I saw that, I was like, man, she, she brought her, someone brought her Bible, you know, to toss us. But she knew she was going to die. In uh, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. You know, we're, don't, we don't, we're not necessarily guaranteed to meet Jesus because of our death in this earthly body. Jesus is coming back. It doesn't get preached as much as it used to, but Jesus is coming back, and no one knows the day or the hour. But, you know, this morning, if you have that, that joy and that peace in your life of, of, of knowing that you're saved and knowing where your salvation is, I just want to sing this song again, How Great Thou Art, and I want us to sing it from our soul this morning. And you can do that from your seat. I'm not saying you have to come forward or jump around or take off running or anything, but just sing it from your soul of how great thou art. Because this morning when I was singing it, I was singing it for my grandma, praising God how great he is to, you know, I know where she is. And I made it a point when I left hospice. Um, I knew it was the last time I was going to see her, but I didn't say goodbye. I said, I'll see you later, Grandma Jan. And she looked back at me and was like, all right, honey, I'll see you later. Because I don't believe that's the last time I'm going to see her. I know I'll see her again because we have that peace. And how great he is to give us that peace. 
Would you stand with me? This is my soul, my Savior God, to Thee.